everyone. My name is Dallin Worthen with the Charter School Connection Podcast. I'm really excited for our guest today, but before introducing her, I'm going to go ahead and just shout out to our sponsors, Charter Connect, which helps boost enrollment for charter schools and our new enrollment software, Enrolio. So feel free to check that out if you're looking to get more schools or more students in your school on the very first day of school. But without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome our guest, um, Beth Napleton. Beth Napleton is a very experienced leader and coach. She's been working with students and leaders at schools for a good amount of time now. She has a lot of experience working with leaders in other fields as well. And she knows kind of, she's been in the shoes of leaders and she knows how to help charter school leaders get to where they're wanting to go. And I'll kind of let her kind of dive into her background a little bit more, but without further ado, Beth, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dallin. I'm glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the charter school world. Yeah, well, you know, it makes me feel a little bit old to share this because it was it really <laughs> the relative dawn of the charter age. Um, but I had been a teacher in a traditional district school in New York City, and then I was kind of not sure if that's what I wanted to do. So I went to go work for a nonprofit to recruit teachers, and then I visited a charter school in rural North Carolina as part of a work trip. And I really just fell in love with the school. I sat down at lunch and a fifth grader asked me what my alma mater was. They were doing different chants. And I felt like I could really learn a lot about teaching here. And so I fell in love with that school and I moved from Manhattan to a town of a thousand people. And it was a really amazing uh, four years where I got to stay with my students for the same four years and help them on their journey to college. And it um, kind of got me hooked into the charter world. Um, I don't know. I always say that I'm like really pro great schools for everyone. And like the way those schools are governed, like I'm a little bit agnostic on, but for me, the best way was through charters because I wanted to start a school. I had a vision. It was the clearest way to do it. Um, And to me, that was easier than working with some of the large urban districts primarily in which I have been uh, working in. So that's awesome. That's a cool story. Um, That's cool that you actually got to walk into a charter school and that it kind of grabbed your attention like that and that you remember that interaction with that student. So yeah, I actually am still friendly with that student today. He is the athletic director of the school now. So I think that's like one of the amazing oh, things cool. about having done this work for as long as I think <laughs> is that when you see your students start to succeed you, right? And to kind of take that role and you can go back and reminisce about what they were like when they were that age. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty gratifying. I don't know of any other field like education that really gets that. So I'm grateful for it. Well, that's awesome. Very cool. So that's kind of how you um, got into the charter school world. And you were a teacher for, did you say four years? I was a teacher all told in my career. I was a teacher for about eight years. I won some national teaching awards. And then I started to transition more into instructional leadership. So I was a founding dean of instruction at that charter school. Um, I did some work with the KIPP Foundation and their network of schools leading the first teacher-led professional development um, and so I started transition, eventually founding my own small charter network in 2013 um, and oh. serving there until our first class graduated in 2021. So that was my longest stint uh, and founding was certainly, as I'm sure many of your listeners know, who have been part of a founding team, uh, it is a really unique and special experience. And what is that charter network called? Chicago Collegiate Charter School. So it's a middle school and a high school in the Roseland neighborhood of Chicago on the far south side. Wow. And so you were in Manhattan, you went down to North Carolina. Why Chicago? What 
Chicago is actually where I originally, where I grew up before I went to college in New York. And so oh. you know, the whole time I was working in North Carolina, my dad would put a call forward for, you know, there's plenty of kids in Chicago who need great schools. <laughs> and so eventually it captured me. Um, awesome. So what were some of the things that you learned as you were starting a charter network? Yeah, I feel like that would be a book, maybe a series. <laughs> <laughs> It probably would be R-rated. No, um, <laughs> some choice words. I mean, I think, and that's one of the things, you know, after I founded Chicago Collegiate and, you know, we started with fourth and fifth grade and we're a slow growth model until uh, our first group graduated from high school in 2021. And so I think that I was looking to transition because I had had some changes in my personal life and knew that I needed to be have a job that was a little bit more flexible than being the CEO um, and in that way. And I kept thinking about, okay, you know, one of the things about leading and, and being the CEO of a charter school is that, you know, your job feels so important every day, right? You're mm-hmm. helping, you're hiring teachers who are transforming kids' lives, you're helping students and families through you know, I worked primarily in middle schools. I mean, that's a really transformative time where there's kind of like two roads diverge. Yeah. Which one will your child take? So I thought like, where can I, you know, I really feel like I'm going to be giving up some impact by not working in schools and in that school setting. But as I reflected on my, you know, 10 plus years in the CEO seat, I could really think of four or five times where I worked with a consultant or a coach who was really able to help me. And I would kind of feel like I was treading water or stuck, maybe struggling with a particular issue like enrollment or like teacher turnover or staff culture. And the consultant or coach could kind of help me get unstuck and kind of like climb to the next level on the staircase. Mm -hmm. And I think that had it not been for a few of those people, I would not have lasted as long as I did. My school wouldn't have had 100% of students accepted to at least two four-year colleges. We wouldn't have had some of the results that we were able to have. And so that's where I pivoted and decided that in my next chapter, if I couldn't work in schools, I could work helping leaders who needed that kind of support because I had been there. I understood how it felt. I, you know, had the box of Kleenex ready. You know, I knew how, (laughs) how many pressures are on you and how hard it is to, you know, even just muse about ideas aloud. Oh, did you hear so-and-so said that we might do this? It's like, well, I was just having an idea. Can I just share it? So I understood a lot of the unique pressures of leadership, which led me to work, you know, pivot into Beth Nableton Consulting, where I do executive coaching and consulting for leaders who want to kind of level up that leadership and climb to the next stair in the staircase. So that's awesome. So before we dive into the consulting and all the different things that, um, you've learned and are now offering to these leaders, if you could go back in time, what were some things that you were glad that you did and some things that you would have maybe done differently when you were starting a charter school? Yes. Um, So I, you know, in some ways, I'm really glad that I didn't know what it took, right? It's like, (laughs) you you have to get you know, to stage whatever mile a hundred on the journey before you're like a thousand miles is a really long time. Yeah, um, ignorance is bliss. Sometimes. Ignorance is bliss, enthusiasm, energy, right? All of that. Um, I I am really glad that um, I opened in the community that we did. It, a lot of there were there are a hundred plus charter schools in the city of Chicago. Um, but a lot of them are concentrated in areas um, that are a little bit more connected to highways and public transportation. And I deliberately went to a neighborhood that had been underserved and didn't have as many educational opportunities. And so 
I don't know if you ever read um, President Obama's first book, Dreams for My Father, but he talks about his organizing work on the far south side and his office was actually a few blocks away from where our school opened. So oh, cool. at one point on the journey of meeting you know, people and talking about the school and pitching it, uh, they went to this little church basement and there was uh, <laughs> there was like little bulletin board cutout letters that said Obama's office. And it was like this moldy smelling church basement and the janitor was the same janitor and he talked about how you know, Barack used to work late and I'd make sure that I could <laughs> just go with Jar because it really was not a clunky. So I'm really glad that I went there. I think it was an amazing community and I just learned so much and felt so grateful and privileged to be able to teach them. And, you know, it's funny because when I opened the school, I was a very new parent. My daughter was six weeks old when the charter application came out. Um, it was due the day she was 12 weeks old. And when we opened wow. our door, she was one and a half. And at the end of, um, in the middle of our second year of operation, I had twins. And that's Ooh. when I went from being principal and executive director to just executive director. I had somebody else yeah. who did the day, to day kind of thing. But um, so my twins are now eight-year-old, eight wonderful eight-year-old boys. And uh, <laughs> I feel like I have learned a lot as a parent that I hadn't learned apparently in the first, you know, 15, 20 years of education about how much kids like just energy level management, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I, our first year, we didn't have recess. Like that was asinine. I, we had fourth and fifth graders. They should have been outside like seven times a day. And so I don't think that I saw as clearly some of the mind body connections or how, I mean, I see it in my sons. Like I have one son who like has to move his body and get tired before he can sit and focus. And I just don't think I understood that. And so I often have these reflections like, oh my gosh, like if it were, you know, like, oh, I wish I had, you know, done this. And I had so many wonderful parents who would try and kind of gently tell me like, honestly, you just like need to let these kids go to recess. And I was like, oh, we have learning to do. We have gaps to make up. And I just wasn't using my best listening ears. I, I just didn't, I wasn't seeing their perspective as much. And I really think about that all the time now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's um, awesome that you're able to reflect back and, and learn because some people, you know, a mistake is only helpful as if you learn from it. So I think that's awesome. And Absolutely. it shows humble leadership. That's great. So um, where is Chicago Collegiate now? And how did it get to where it is? Did you have goals or did you kind of take a more like abstract approach rather than having set goals? How did you find the right teachers? How did you promote it? Because there's probably a lot of people um, or the few people that do listen to this, to this podcast that are wondering, how did they get it? you know, to 10 years? How did they get it to graduating classes? How did they grow it from grade to grade? How? Yeah, I mean, I think that it is a, you know, there's probably for every week was a different story, right? In terms of what was up, what was down, what was working, what wasn't. Schools are such dynamic and complex places. And so much depends on who your right hand is and what the, you know, what's going on in the community and who's available to be hired. And um, I think that, so the, the headline of how I did it was one day at a time, <laughs> yeah. right? It was kind of like, what's the challenge today? What do we tackle today? Now, not every problem could be vanquished in just one day. So there were many days in a row where it was the same problem we had, mm -hmm. you know, and we started with tremendous. We had um, no teacher turnover between our first and second year. We retained hundred percent of our staff for several years in a row. And then as our school got bigger and, you know, people started to move or, you know, go to graduate school we started to struggle more with turnover, struggle more with sometimes the us versus them culture that can happen in schools where you're growing and adding you know, new staff and old staff. 
And so one of the things I work with leaders a lot on now is like, oh, I'm here and I don't want to be here. I want to be there. I want better staff retention. I want better staff culture. I want my teachers to be more instructionally focused. I want my leadership. To, I want to be more instructionally focused, right? And so, you know, and, or, or culturally focused or whatever it might be. And so I think that you know, it, it was such a feeling often I felt so isolated. I felt like this really challenged me with like every ounce of my being. And so, you know, what I always tell people now from the perspective of having worked with so many clients from all over the country, building on my time in leadership, you know, your problems, like you're special, but you're not unique, right? Somebody else has had your problem. Somebody else has struggled with low enrollment, teacher turnover, you know, I mean, people do the craziest, stupidest things, which you see when you are the head of HR, essentially. <laughs> and so I think that, you know, but doing it one day at a time, taking it day by day. And, you know, I did this, as I mentioned, occasionally, and I wish I had done it more is like, you know, don't be afraid to get help. I think sometimes leaders feel like I should be able to do it myself. I'm the boss. This is why they pay me the big bucks. But, you know, I see it in my clients, having somebody to talk to, having an outside perspective, having some curated tools, having a consultant come in and being able to say, can you take care of this for me? Can you run this analysis? Can you do this survey? I mean, leaders so often don't have that luxury. And I think they'll sometimes say, oh, but I could hire a luncher maid with what this would cost. Oh, I could buy this new live, you know, the set of library books for this group of students. And that is important. And if I am looking at like a group of dominoes of 300 and each represents a student and I can only pick one to knock over, I'm going to pick the head of school because that affects the leadership, that affects the teachers, that affects every student in that building. And so I think that leaders are sometimes humble or, you know, want to make sure that they're um, devoting resources to instruction directly. But investing in the leader is an investment in the students and it is an investment in the community. It's an investment in the future. And a lot of leaders might be listening to this thinking, I'm not sure how much longer I can do this. And that's also partly where, you know, how can I help? I work a lot with boards on how do we help make this job sustainable? How do we help make this something that someone can do? How do we help? Because we know this leader is so valuable. We know the leadership transition will cost our school valuable knowledge, time, resources. And so how do we invest now so that we don't pay later, right? Yeah. Awesome. So let's say I am the executive director at a school. I'm listening to this podcast. I want my school to be at X amount of students with X amount of teacher retention. And I want to be in this percentage mm -hmm. or percentile of results and um, all of this stuff. I want to expand to a new facility or have enough money to for a new gym or whatever it may be. Get out of the shopping center that I'm currently at um, or stay there and make it nice. Right, sometimes those aren't bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there wherever I am, if I come to you, what does that look like? Um, if I say, hey, Beth, i am heard about your services. Where do we go from here? Yeah, well, I always do a call with folks so I can get to know them and their situation a little bit more. And I find that, you know, it really helps me to listen, to understand. I mean, you mentioned goals earlier and I've been working a lot with leaders. I led a lot through goals, some years better than others. Uh, some years, you know, you kind of, it's a pendulum. So some years the pendulum swings too far in either direction. So you find <laughs> it's just right. But one of the things that I always do is listen because it depends, right? Like, can you get to X percent teacher retention? What, yes, you can. On what timeline and in what way is going to be the, the thing that we work to figure out. 
Um, and, but it's also going to depend on what else is going on in your situation. If you also mentioned that you have a lot of board transition, if you're also in the middle of a funding crisis, if you're also in a district that has just been taken over by the state, those are factors that are going to influence the path forward. And so I really just listen and take it in. And then I come back to you with a custom proposal based on your budget, your issues, who else is involved, who you'd want to figure out and say, here's what I think it would take to get you from point A to point B. And so does this work for you? And people will sometimes say, great, yes, this works. Let's get in the car and start driving. And other times they'll say, oh, actually, what about this or what about that? And I'll go back and revise it because again, you know, you are, I want my proposals and my work to reflect the specialness of your environment and those factors. And I can draw on the fact that so many leaders struggle with, for example, not having a distributed leadership team. So many leaders coming out of COVID, if we're out of it or wherever wherever the heck we are on that journey, right? Well, the talent landscape has changed. People are, it's it's a different ball game. It's a different workforce. How do I still have a culture of high expectations? And also I don't want my teachers to quit. And so how do I kind of navigate this? How do I make this culture shift? And then we start to work together through mostly what I call coach salting, which is kind of part coaching, part consulting. So a lot of consultants, the end product is a plan. And for me, it's the midpoint is a plan, right? So we do a current state analysis, we plan and prioritize, and then I also help you implement it, right? And we're not gonna do the whole thing together, and we can, but often people will say, let's kind of get this idea introduced to the team, let's get it socialized, let's work through these road bumps so that, you know, I got plenty of plans from consultants that then gather dust in a drawer because step one didn't work or it was never the right time or the external landscape changed and I had to revise it. And so I really like to stay with my clients in this kind of coach salting role where not only do I do the work like a consultant and add that capacity to you, I also am able to help coach you through it so that you're able to be successful. Awesome. Do you have any maybe stories or um, success stories that you could share of X school came to you with this problem and we were able totally. to it and Yeah, no, absolutely. I have, I have tons. Fortunately, I feel really lucky to do the work that I do, but I'm thinking right now about um, a leader in Detroit who I started working with. She was leading a growing K-8 school. I think at the time we worked together, they were K-6 and they had been growing for several years. They were in this point where they had been around for, I don't know, maybe five or six years. So pretty young, but old enough to have problems. Everyone's old enough to have problems. You can be two days old and have challenges. They just change. It's like having children. Like every stage has its issues, right? Just got to grow to the next one. Um, but they were really struggling. They had been a very goal-focused culture before COVID. This was probably in the spring of 2021, we started working together. Um, and she felt like they gotten away from goals, kind of this idea of accountability, what were people responsible for? And as what often happens is that when the goals are blurry or who's account- responsible for them, accountability gets blurry. Whose job is it to do this? Is it the principal's job? Is it your job? Is it the department chair? Is it this person's job? And so she was like, you know, I really want to get back to this and be mindful of the fact that we are in a different world that, you know, people have been through a lot. So I don't want to do it in this heavy handed way. And nor do I actually feel like I can because I feel like it lead to a talent exodus. And so we were able to work together from, you know, May through October and come up with a process to involve her leadership team and her staff and contributing to goals, really honing on the most important elements, thinking about the owners, having clear roles and responsibilities for the team and creating a system to progress monitor throughout the year. I mean, and we're still in touch this day two years later, and she talks about it as just really a huge pivot moment in their journey where they were able to kind of get back into that groove, focus on what mattered, make sure that they were keeping an eye on the academic results as well as on culture and wellness and holistic well-being, closing some of the learning gaps that the pandemic wrought. And so I think that 
that was like this moment where I really was able to see the impact of coach salting. And I've worked with people, you know, I'll work with people at the beginning of a school year who say we're starting a new year and I just can't have it be like last year. Yeah. <laughs> right. And we will really go into, well, what was last year and what made it hard and tease out those pain points and the different weights and mm-hmm. talk to different people and support. And like, how do we get that first quarter off that first semester off to a way that is like a template for the rest moving forward. Um, yeah. So it's been, it's been really great. I, I, I could tell a bunch more stories. There are so many yeah. leaders out there doing great things and, and the light is not often. That's shown. awesome. Let's say you run into someone at a conference and they say, hey, uh, I don't plan on maybe ever um, using your service, but do you have a word of advice for me? Like, uh, do you have like maybe just a couple words of advice for someone that's like, yeah, like we're we're just not maybe going to be moving into a professional relationship with you, but help me out. What, give me something like if you had a billboard, what would you put on that billboard? Interesting. Uh, I would say, and I'm talking to a leader here, yeah, director. Yeah. Um, I feel like my soapbox I always get on is, you know, just like the pilot says, like, put your oxygen mask on before you put anyone else's on, Mm -hmm. you know, leaders do not forget to put your own oxygen mask on. Right. And I think that so often you can run yourself into the ground. You can work 24 hour and like I have I have left my building at three in the morning. Like I get it. You can run your there are there are seasons of intense productivity and efficiency, but to do this work for the long haul, to do this work even for the medium or the short term, how do you take care of yourself? Do you invest in yourself like you invest in your most valued teacher? And that really makes a lot of people stop and think, whoa. Yeah. Um, and I think that you know, we you have to see yourself as that key role in there. You have to take care of yourself um, and treat yourself as you would a valued employee. Awesome. Very cool. So let's say I am really interested in meeting with you and having you do some coach consulting for for myself and for our leaders. How do I put myself in contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. You can go to my website, bethnapleton.com, which I'm guessing you'll have show notes and we can put that in there. Um, and book a call. It's right on there. And we can kind of talk about what's going on. And, you know, the other resource I have for anyone who's listening, who's like, I don't need a call, but I could see is I do have a quiz because I love those like 90 second internet mm-hmm. quizzes. And so it is um, on what you need most as a leader. So you can take it and see what you need most oh, cool. and give you some kind of uh, bespoke advice based on where you're at. So that's leadership-quiz.com. And that will redirect you to my website, which has it at the top and you can go ahead and take that. And so I think that that's been interesting to me because, you know, what you need most as a leader might depend based on where you're at. It might be a different answer in August than it is in February, but I think that hopefully it's some good perspective and advice that helps people see um, how to, how to take care of themselves, how to get that oxygen mask as well. Awesome. Very, very cool. Um, Before we wrap up, do you have any resources that you'd like to suggest any books or podcasts or movies, YouTube videos? (laughs) <laughs> yes, I feel like this is dating me because when I started really my leadership journey, uh, many of those things did not exist. <laughs> <laughs> so I think a lot of my, and I was an uh, English language arts teacher, so always as a reader, but there are a couple of go-tos that I always recommend for folks. Um, I love the Five Dysfunctions of a Team uh, book. I think that's Patrick Lencioni is, that's genius. And as I often learn the hard way that, you know, 
every iteration of your team, it's helpful to do. You might've had a great team last year, but if you have some new members this year, how do you build that trust? How do you create that culture of accountability? Mm-hmm. And I also really like managing to change the world, which is a resource the management center in Washington, DC puts out. And they have just like some really practical, actionable stuff on managing that I used to use with a lot of my mid-level leaders, like department chairs and assistant principals who are learning how to manage as well. So I think those are two of my favorite recommendations. Awesome. Great. Uh, those will be included in the show notes for people to go check out. Oh, awesome. um, any other tips, tricks, stories, ideas, anything that you'd like to add before we wrap up? Uh, just, you know, I think that it is, there's so much in our world, as there should be, extolling the value of a great teacher. And I mean, as someone who benefited from great teachers and my kids have great teachers, absolutely, that is 100% true. And I think that it is a missed opportunity to reflect on how important it is. If you want to have a school full of great teachers, you need a leader who is leading the way, who's helping people grow, who's helping them develop, who's providing a niche in their community, who's responding to the crises of the day. And uh, I wish that that was as extolled, right, as it goes through. But I think people who know education understand just how valuable it is to be that principal, to be that executive director, to be the person, you know, it's not fun to like sit with a 20 page spreadsheet and figure out this. It's not great to get the, you know, facility violation call from the Department of Buildings, but that is work that allows kids to learn and allows them to thrive and develop. And it often goes unnoticed and unacknowledged. So I hope if anyone listening hears themselves in that, like at least know that I acknowledge you and I appreciate you. So. Well, that's awesome. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure learning a little bit more about you. Um, Everyone that's listening to this episode, go check out bethnapleton.com or take the quiz at leadership-quiz.com. I said that correctly? Yes, that's all right. Perfect. Awesome. (laughs) 100%. Go go check that out. And um, thank you so much for being on our episode, on our podcast and sharing your experience with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.